0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Who has a laptop computer? Who has a desktop computer? Who has an iPad? Who has an iPod? Who has an iPad mini? All these forms of technology are designed to go into hibernation when they're not being used. And whether you have an iPad or a iPod, or a laptop, or a desktop computer, once that piece of technology has gone into hibernation, in order to wake it up, you have to push a few buttons. The church is not unlike a laptop computer, that when not in use, it goes to sleep. And in order to wake the church up, it takes somebody to push your buttons in order to wake you up. That's my privilege. That's my joy. That's my responsibility as the leader and pastor of a local church. Every one of us is designed to go into hibernation when we haven't been used for a while. And in order to wake us up, we need to press a few buttons. And this morning, that's what I intend to do, is to press a few buttons in order to wake us up and to get us as a church on mission. Maybe we started on mission Maybe we've got some stories about the time when we went to a shopping centre and we spoke about our faith to a complete stranger. The trouble with that story is it's so long ago and we've gone into hibernation and we don't want our buttons pressed because we like sleeping. And so I want to speak about being on mission and we're going to do this over the next few weeks and I want to look at the motivation of our mission in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to pray. Because we need prayer to grasp what it is I'm trying to say this morning. Because a lot of what I share won't be new to you, but I hopefully it'll come in such a way that will wake us up. Father, I ask through the Holy Spirit's presence in this place this morning that you would grant us the wisdom, the courage and the strength that we need to be a church that is on mission. Help us, I pray, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying and I ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're starting a series called On Mission and the purpose of our mission is simple. Redemption. Basically, there are seven basic human needs. They are dignity, peace, purpose, health, provision, friendship and victory. All of these things were lost in the garden way back in the day when Adam and Eve took a bite from that apple. Those things were given to man and they were lost in the garden at that moment. And the mission that we are on is to redeem humanity. The plan is simple, it's the gospel. That whatever was lost in the garden was purchased at the cross through the blood of Christ. That's the plan of the mission and the people God wants to use is his church. That's it. It's really simple. The purpose, redemption. The plan, the gospel, the people, the church. Let me read one of the most famous... Well-known portions of Scripture. And it's found in the book of John, chapter 3, and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Who's heard that portion of Scripture before? For God, which highlights this, that everything starts with God. The Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God. Let us never forget that it was in the beginning, God. And it was for God. His mission, he started this mission and it's a mission that is for him. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Jesus so loved the world that he went. God so loved the world that he sent. Jesus so loved the world that he went. And Jesus commanded us to do the same. In Matthew 28 verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I am, sorry, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The great commission that Jesus gave the early church was birthed out of a great love for humanity. This morning, in our first part of this new series, I want to look at the motivation of our mission and the motivation of our mission can be summed up in one word, love. The words that Jesus spoke to the disciples to go into all the world, the motivation behind that commandment was love. It's love that's going to keep us on mission. If we lose a love for God, if we lose a love for humanity, we will get off mission. We'll go into hibernation. We'll go into sleep mode. And that's why I'm here this morning just to wake us up a little bit and remind us that the motivation to our mission is love. The Bible says that God is love. Mission is an attribute of God, not just an activity of God. David Bosch says this, that mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but it's an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. That's why we do personal evangelism. That's why we do outreach events. And that's why we are on mission, because God so loved the world. This missionary God loves the world. And he wants us to be on mission out of a love for humanity. And so this morning, in the short time that I have with you, I want to highlight a few things about God's love that will hopefully motivate us to get on mission, or if we are on mission, to stay on mission. And the first thing I want to highlight is simply this, that God's love is global. Everyone say global. God's love is global. In other words, his love extends to all people. All different colours and creeds. You see, way back in the early days of the church, we've already read it in Matthew 28. Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world. And to proclaim this gospel and to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who would agree that's pretty simple advice? It's pretty clear. And then we have Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And right before their very eyes, he ascends into the heavens. That's what we read in Acts chapter 1. Where was that? happening in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, they met in the upper room and there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And this group of believers numbering about 120 ran downstairs. Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. What a great day, but who knows where it was? In Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 3, in the excitement of all that is happening, Peter and John are walking to the temple and there's this beggar at the gate, beautiful... And, he, and he, he heard that Peter and John were coming. And because he was begging for food and begging for money, he said, give me arms, arms for the poor, arms for the poor. And Peter looks down at him full of the Holy Spirit and says, I don't have riches. I don't have gold. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And this beggar, this crippled beggar got to his feet and he went leaping and jumping to church. Amazing story. But where did that happen? In Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 4, we read about the church growing in number, got to about 5,000 people and people were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and God added to the church daily. It was phenomenal and it all took place in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira saw what was going on and then they sold some property but they kept some of that the sale of the property for themselves but they acted more generous than they were and they said this is the whole extent of the monies that we got for our land and Peter says because you've lied to the Holy Spirit they died, they lied and died and people were afraid yet the church grew people stayed away from the church yet the church grew where did that happen? in Jerusalem I imagine by now God is in heaven going, guys, this is awesome. This is fantastic. But what don't you understand about the whole world? Acts chapter 1, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 3, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, Jerusalem. Acts chapter 5, Jerusalem. Enter Acts chapter 6. God's on the move. Young man by the name of Stephen gets arrested. He's full of the Holy Spirit, he can't keep quiet about what he knows, and God's got a plan to mobilize his church. Stephen's so full of the Holy Spirit, he starts speaking to the religious leaders. Into Acts chapter 7. Stephen starts giving a discourse about the church and the history of the church. And these religious leaders are listening on saying, wow, this man is very learned. He's very understanding of the scriptures. And they're going, yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. Moses did say that. David did do that. Joseph did do that. Yes. Uh-huh. That's great. That's true. And then full of the, I mentioned he was full of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't help himself. And then he talked about the Messiah that came. His name was Jesus. And you stiff-necked, hypocritical people, you put the Messiah to death. Uh Uh-oh. It was a great history of the church until then. They were like, yes, uh uh-huh, that's good, we agree. What the... And Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, his countenance has now changed. His face is shining like that of an angel. And these religious people can't handle what he's got to say. They are weeping and gnashing their teeth. That's what is reserved for people in hell. Hell comes early for some people. They are weeping. They're gnashing their teeth against Stephen. They're picking up stones ready to stone him. And Stephen can't help himself. He says, look, the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of the Father. They can't cope with it. They take him out, they drag him out, and they stone him to death. all happened in Jerusalem. And there was a young man giving approval of Stephen's death. His name was Saul, later be changed to Paul. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 8. The church, get this, scattered. God used the persecution of Stephen. He used one of the heroes of the faith. He allowed this incredible man of incredible integrity to die in order to get the church on mission. Acts chapter 8, church running for their lives. Next, in fact, they all scattered except the apostles. Apostle means sent one. The ones who were sent stayed. It's just a thought. They went into other parts of the world. Philip's in Samaria. He preaches the gospel. Revival breaks out. He doesn't know how to handle them. He's just an evangelist. He doesn't know how to look after the people. He just knows how to get them. So he phones Jerusalem. There was no phones, but bear with me, okay? Says, guys, something's happening in Samaria. Where's Samaria? I didn't even know Samaria existed. God doesn't even like Samaria, does he? Yes, he loves the whole world. That's the point. He loves the whole world. He's a global God. So you got to do something because revival is breaking out here. I just said, Jesus, people came. Now I don't know what to do. I'm an evangelist. I don't know what to do after that. And Peter and John come into Samaria and start bringing order putting things in place at a church's birth. Church is on mission. God is more committed to his mission than your comfort. That's my point. His love is global. His love is not parochial. I was standing in our cafe just the other day. I said, look at this. I was setting this person up, I must admit. I'm a little bit cheeky like that. I said, isn't this awesome? I knew the answer would be yes. They said, yes. I said, what's to not like about this? They said, oh, nothing. I said, so why am I so unhappy then? Why am I so discontent then? If this is awesome, which it is. I said, there's a a desire in me for other communities that don't have this. God help that we become so parochial that we say to hell with the rest of this community. Because that's ultimately what we're doing. The moment we settle and say this much and no more, We are saying to hell with everyone else. Because that's where people are headed. And we're saying to hell with everyone else. Unless we understand that this is what we have is worth importing. Sorry, it's worth exporting. There's other communities, other suburbs in Adelaide that need this. There's other states in Australia that need this. There's other countries in the world that need this. Hey, I'm so grateful to God for what he's done. But I do live with a divine discontentment for those that don't have this. And that's not a bad thing. And if God is prepared to allow one of his saints to be put to death so that the church would get back on mission... I'm sure he doesn't mind me this morning making you feel just a little bit comfortable as I push your buttons in order to wake you up. We've done different things and we'll continue to do different things. But religious people never, ever, ever are comfortable with change. Stephen talked about the history of the church and the religious people were happy. What they weren't happy with was the change that was taking place right now. And so we're going to continue to push the envelope. We're going to continue to do different things, new things, things that keep us on mission that religious people will not understand nor celebrate, but we've got to for the sake of moving forward. Because God's love is global. God's love is not only global, it's also sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he gave. Everyone say gave. He gave his son to die for us. Now what you need to understand about love is there is an emotional aspect to love. Absolutely, I'll concede. When I saw this young girl at roller skating back in the day, there was an emotional aspect that just rose up within me that I had feelings for a young girl. There is an emotional aspect to love. But primarily, love is an action, it's a decision. It's not just an emotion, it's a decision. Love is a decision. And to love God is a decision. And it's the nature of love to give. Love is measurable. You can measure love by people's willingness to give. People that aren't willing to forgive show the limit of their love. We have an opportunity every week with our financial giving to highlight and to show to ourselves where is our love at? Is our love for McDonald's greater than our love for God? It'll be seen in our giving. Is our love for God greater than our love for technology? It'll be seen in our giving because love is a decision. Love is able to say yes to certain things and no to certain things. When we say no to certain things, we are, we are saying yes to something else. To all of our young ones in this auditorium and to those that are unmarried in this place, The notion that God says abstain from sexual relations before being married is not because he's a party pooper. It's not because he's an old fuddy-duddy. It's not because he's not with the times and relevant. It's because he has a plan for you and it's bigger than what you're presently seeing and making it right now. God is trying to teach young people that love can say yes to certain things and say no to certain things. You might love a young man, ladies, but when you say no to him and his sexual advances, you are saying a bigger yes to God. It's a decision. I'm saying, in saying no to you, I'm saying yes to God. It's proof right now of my love for him. See, God has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's his plan for you. That's what he wants for you. But in the meantime, he's going to teach you to become a bigger person, to think bigger and to become stronger. And I believe one of the key reasons God wants young people to abstain from sexual relations is so that he can build a strength within people to be able to say no and resist temptation before they get married. It's not so much about the act of sexual intimacy as it is about the strength to resist temptation. Because every married person in this room knows this to be true. Once you get married, temptation does not stop. In actual fact, it not only not stops, but there's more pressure in your world. And if we can't resist temptation as young people, without the pressure of a mortgage, without the pressure of managing a wife or a husband, and they do need managing, without looking after and parenting kids, I mean, how many of you would say as a married person in this room with kids and a mortgage, there's more pressure now? And so, God wants us to learn some things when there's not the extra pressure so that when the extra pressure comes, we've got the strength to stand. So that we can walk out the love that we say we have for God and the love we say we have for our wife, and the love we say we have for our kids, and the love we say we have for our community. God's a God of order. He's not a fuddy-duddy. And I'm trusting that this winter camp, there'll be such an explosion of God's presence that he will arrest young people at the core of their being. There'll be such a deep event added with an incredible process that would hold them all the days of their life. That they would be young people that grow in favour with God and man in stature and wisdom and that they could lead the way forward by example, not just with hollow and shallow words, but with a lifestyle. There's a different authority that comes on somebody that's living a certain way and they speak. That when someone's not living a certain way and they speak, have you noticed that? When Jesus walked the earth, the religious people were amazed. and said, man, we've never seen such teaching and such authority because the religious people talked the talk, but they didn't walk the walk. And God is wanting us to walk the walk. It's a sign of our love. It's not enough to say, I love God. It's not enough to say, you know, I'm committed to the church, but we only come when we want. It's not enough to say, you know, we want to see the world saved. There's a difference between want to and have to. I don't feel like I want to see this community. I feel like I have to. I feel like I have an obligation. There's a difference between want to and have to. If I said to you, who wants $100,000? Who, who wants that? Come on, be honest. You want 100000 $100,000. But what about if you look at it like this? You've got a young child that's got a sickness and the cure costs $100,000. That's that's different now. It's not a want anymore, it's a have to. I have to get $100,000 or my child dies. There's a a greater passion, a greater hunger, a greater desire within that person now. It's not just a want, it's a have to. I have to get the $100,000 or my child is going to die. Do we feel like that about the people in this community? Do we feel like the people about, about, about that are the people in our world? We should. Because that's the heart of God. And he wants us to get on mission. And he uses the foolish things of this world, namely me, to push your buttons, to wake us up, and to get us on mission He gave his son to die for us. You see, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. In these meetings right now, we kind of revert back to, yeah, but God saved me. Yeah, 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 that's a free gift. Salvation is free, but discipleship is going to cost you something eventually. When you first give your life to Jesus, you may be riding a high and everyone's just doing everything for you and they're picking you up for church and they're doing everything but they're paying for every one of your coffees and and you're just riding the high of being a brand new Christian and everyone's loving and that's awesome. But eventually, eventually, eventually someone's going to stop buying your coffees and eventually someone might say, hey, look, you know what, you you might be good if you start using your own car now. I would use my car to pick other people up who haven't been given the chance that you've been given. Eventually, it's going to cost you something. Eventually, you're going to have to start driving your own car. Eventually, you're going to have to start reading your own Bible. Hey, in the early days, someone might come around and read it to you and have a Bible study. That's great. But eventually, it's going to cost you some of your time to read your Bible, to think about your thoughts and your decision and your commitment. This is the path of discipleship. God wants us to grow up and get on mission. I thank God for those that have given their time to serve in our cafe. They're not getting paid for it, but they're just serving freely because they recognize it's not just about a cafe. It's not just a money-spinning venture. It's about us being on mission. And I'm starting to think, okay, now we're getting all these people coming in. We've got to capitalize upon the opportunity that God has given us. But thank God for those that are seeing just a little bit bigger. We need more help. Seriously, to say you love God, to say that you are His disciple, and you haven't got a story of someone you've reached out to and someone you've shared the gospel with in the last twelve months, I have to ask the question: Are you not in hibernation mode? If you've got no friendship circles, if all of your friends are now saved, get on mission, come to the cafe, you'll see a stack of people. We have hundreds of people. We have over 500 people frequent this cafe from our community every week. And all we need is some people to go serve them and say, Hey, how you doing? What's your name? We're making it, it's never been easier to get on mission than it is right now. To be able to talk about the church, that we have a cafe and we have a free kids' playground. You've got kids about that. That's awesome. It doesn't get any easier than this. We've just got to have the eyes of our hearts open. Thirdly, God's love is personal. Christ died for you. Seven billion people in this world today. And every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. This is the message of the cross. That you matter to him. That's that's the gospel. You matter to God. What does a gospel mean? You matter to God. What is this story about Jesus going to the cross? Essentially, it means this. You matter to him. He loves you. That he was willing to die for you. Can you imagine in the particular countries where the death penalty is still alive and well? And you were facing an execution by firing squad. And somebody said, I don't want you to shoot this man. He's young. He's got his whole life ahead of him. Take me. And that person became a substitute for you. He became a redeemer for you. That's what Jesus did. He died in our place. When we should have died, he died for us. I think our theology can grasp that he loves the world, but I don't know that it can grasp that he loves us. If we truly understood that Jesus loves me, oh, the awe and the wonder would never leave. I was on my bike this morning, my exercise bike, and, and I was playing some music, and I got reduced to tears. I thought, about this: God loves me. I've been preaching and leading a church for 20 years but haven't lost the wonder that he loves little itty bitty me. That The wonder of that thought that Jesus left the splendour of heaven and came and walked the earth for some 33 years and went on the cross willingly, sacrificially for me. And I wasn't even born, but He knew I was born because He knew me before the foundation of the earth. I was always part of His plan. Oh my gosh, what a God we serve. But we get so consumed with the trappings of church and the music's too loud and I'm not in my favourite seat. Are you kidding me? The wonder of it all, Jesus. I mean, come on, let's keep it real, let's keep it big, let's keep it great, let's keep it fun. You guessed it, we're just a little bit of naughty. This is a big God. He's so big that he created the galaxies. But he's so intricate and intimate that he created the atom. What a God! How great is this God? How great, how magnificent, how awesome is this God? It never ceases to amaze me. We had people come in here today, can you believe this, with their eagle's scarf on, loud and proud, (laughs) spreading the good news that the West Coast eagles beat the Adelaide Crows. Good news that they couldn't wait to share. These are evangelists for the West Coast Eagles. Do I have any evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, come on! We get a new iPod. We tell everyone, "I got a new iPod. I got a new iPod." You know, if your niece and look at my new shoes. Look at my—he's worse than a girl. Look at my new shoes. Look at my new shoes. But when it comes to Jesus, we're silent. Hey, be loud and proud with the eagles. Enjoy your day in the sun. They won't win the flag. Enjoy it. And nor will the crows and nor will the power. Simple as that. We're all just playing for last place. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I tweeted this morning, the Wallabies lost. The crows lost. Isn't it good to know that Jesus won at Calvary? Isn't it good to know that Jesus won the greatest battle of all time? It's personal, which means we should always have an appreciation. When things are personal, it affects you personally. Jesus died for me. That affects me personally. I've been leading this church for a number of years. People come, people go. But I've left, never lost my appreciation and sense of wonder for Jesus. I remember one day having a whinge. God never lets me get away with a whinge. He loves me that much. I remember having one of those moments just saying, God, what's the point of preaching? People don't even listen anyway. Look at you. Some of you just went, what? What did you say? <laughs> Thus proving my point. So, said, God, you've asked me to preach. He went, yeah. That's just it. I felt God break into my wind with this. That's just it. I asked you to preach. I never said I to listen. I asked you to preach. Oh... Okay, I'll get on with my sermon prep then. And lastly, God's love is eternal. Because of Jesus, we will not perish. But we'll have eternal life. If I can have Fiona and the guys and girls come, that'd be great. We're dealing not just with people's lives. We're dealing with people's eternity. And essentially by saying, we're not going to reach out beyond me, myself and I. We're essentially saying, the rest of you can go to hell. Now, as Christians, we're never going to use that language because we know enough to watch our language but we don't know God enough to know that he knows what we're thinking and essentially by not wanting to reach out by not wanting to be a part of the uh, solution and just be part of the problem we're essentially thumbing our nose at God can I be really crass and say we're extending our fingers to God and say to heck with your plan I've got my salvation, now let me get on with my life. And this type of Christianity, the Bible knows nothing of. The Bible only advocates one type of Christianity. That's one that's forever indebted to the one who redeemed and saved. The one that lives with a daily gratitude That our lives have been plucked from the pit of hell. That we get to spend eternity with Him in a place where there's no poverty, no tears, no sickness. Through no effort of our own, we get that as a reward. It is a scandalous grace. The gospel is a scandal. And that's why the religious people were so annoyed. Are you advocating a salvation that is not by works? Yes. Through no effort of your own, Jesus laid down His life for you and for me. And we get to live with Him for all time and eternity in a place where there's no more tears, no more sickness, no more poverty. There will be no cancer, no deafness, no blindness. Some of the ailments that we suffer and endure with here on planet Earth, there is coming a day where He will wipe away all our tears. And we did nothing to deserve it. And all He asks in eternity is to spread the Word. It's not too much to ask. But you know what? When the volume of the music or the place that you sit or what somebody said becomes bigger in your thinking than this, you'll go into hibernation mode and you'll go to sleep in your bitterness and you'll miss your greatest moment in history. We only get one shot at life. There is no dress rehearsal. This is it. This is my time. I was born for such a time as this. And I'm not going to waste a moment. I love people I do. But one thing I've guarded jealously my whole life is who I hang with. I don't want to waste my time with the wrong people. I assess my friendship circles all the time because my life is precious. My time is short. I'm getting older. I'm getting closer to 50 than 40. It's ridiculous. I don't know how long I have, but in light of eternity, I don't have long and nor do you. And I don't want to waste my life with a bunch of people who just cannot seem to get over themselves and something that happened a week ago, a year ago, a decade ago. Life is precious. Life is for the living. Life is for now. And any person I don't have to waste my time with frees me up to spend time with precious people who are hungry. Probably one of the greatest, greatest pieces of advice I was ever given is, Tony, when it comes to your relationships, look for the hunger. Calculate the oxygen you give to your relationships. The Bible says in Matthew 5, blessed are the hungry for they will be filled. Who's ever heard the saying, can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink? We're spending a lot of time with horses that are in headlocks. We're trying to make them drink. Drink, you stupid thing. Drink, you stupid thing. You know what? Wisdom would say, let go of the horse. Let him get a little bit thirstier and find somebody else. Get on mission again. And maybe, just maybe, that horse will just get thirstier and thirstier. We keep our heart open. But in the meantime, I'm on mission. And then as part of being on mission, I walk past the horse again. oh, he's thirsty now. You ready to drink? Cool, that's great. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.